Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Zoo News is, of course, a crowd-sourced news program, so if you happen to see anything that you think might be zoo news-worthy, go ahead and tag me in it on social media at Rossafari or at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, or email it to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com, and I'll say your name at the end of the episode. Uh, so I'm going to keep the intro part here short because uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie dropped today. It's Thursday, May 4th, and um, weirdly, it comes out tomorrow, but showtime start at 3 o'clock today because apparently Hollywood doesn't understand what days mean. But I'm not complaining because I have my ticket, and uh, in just a few hours, I will be enjoying Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, uh, yeah, that's what's going on in my life. Also, like, shows and other stuff. But, okay, let's get to the news. One, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Tree kangaroo. Oh, I've been to wrong. It's yeah. All right, so uh, I'm going to I'm going to let this happy music fade first, and then I'm going to um, start with something that I almost never start with, but uh, there is a reason, which is we're going to talk about some deaths and births uh, at zoos. And I hate to start zoo news with uh, a very sad story, but um, this had to be the top story for me. If you have listened to the podcast regularly, you know that in all of the myriad amazing animal experiences I have had, very few have touched me more than meeting Hugh and Buffett, the two resident manatees at Moat Marine Lab. In fact, uh, that episode is tied with my Ron McGill episode for the most listened to episode of Raw Safari of all time. Unfortunately... Uh, on April 29th, Hugh, the manatee, passed away unexpectedly at Moat. Uh, it's a really confusing story right now. We'll, we'll have answers. But um, basically what happened is that on the 29th, uh, Hugh started acting weird. Change in behavior happened. And so animal care staff started uh, monitoring him. And then um, a little bit later, he just became unresponsive in his habitat. Uh, the animal care team jumped in to figure out what was going on. And Hugh was gone. He had passed away. Uh, a full necropsy is being done, of course, but uh, the process can take eight or more weeks. Hugh was 38 years old and had been at Moat since uh, 1996, and uh, Hugh, along with Buffett, uh, are the world's only manatees to have participated in voluntary detailed behavioral research designed to aid manatee conservation. Uh, if you haven't checked out that episode yet, uh, it's it's really cool, and I'm not 
plugging my episode so much as just saying that the team at Moat was incredible. And um, the time that I got to spend with Hugh and Buffett uh, was really beautiful. I am devastated and heartbroken by this news. And I send my condolences to everyone at the amazing team at Moat. Uh, love y'all so much. I, I always have an amazing time there. And I, I, uh, I'm, I'm really sad about this one, y'all. Um, yeah, RIP Hugh. The Buffalo Zoo also announced the passing of a beloved animal this week. Uh, Wilma, the oldest North American bison at the zoo, had to be humanely euthanized at the age of 29 years old, which is uh, nine years older than the average life expectancy of a bison um, You know, at the high end. They live 15 to 20 years. So, you know, uh, again, just a, a really sad story, but also an amazing testament to the long lives and great care that animals get to have when they live at a great zoo like the Buffalo Zoo. The Racine Zoo also recently announced the passing of a beloved animal, Naka, the zoo's resident Amor tiger. Uh, now, Naka was 18 years old at the time of her passing, uh, which is, again, significantly longer than the average lifespan of 10 to 12 years for an Amor tiger. Um, but the – oh, man. The, the story here is yet again another sad one. I mean – I guess one is an animal death, not sad. Um, but the story is that um, Naka had recently been diagnosed with a malignant sarcoma that was discovered during routine behavioral husbandry training. And so right there, I'm going to pause and just point out that, um, you know, if zookeepers weren't there and doing this amazing work and training and also really knowing their animals and paying attention, then this sarcoma would not have been discovered when it was. Uh, they were able to get samples of the mass and submit it for testing, and it showed that it was a very aggressive form of cancer. Uh, and so the vets did remove um, the the cancer and and the the mass, and uh, the procedure itself was successful. But Naka was not able to make a full recovery uh, and passed due to complications from the surgery combined with her advanced age. So uh, even though you know it's a sad ending. Um, this is, again, just a, another example of how good zoos do amazing work and how zookeepers are able to positively impact the lives of their animals. Naka was not able to tell anyone that she had cancer and was suffering and was in pain, but her keepers were able to figure it out and uh, get her the help that she needed. And while in this case, it, it ended up having a tragic ending. I mean, it was aggressive cancer. It would have anyway. So, um you know, nice, nice work to the, the, the team at the Racine Zoo and uh, condolences for your loss. Jody, a 46-year-old chimpanzee who spent the last 15 years of her life at the Chimp Sanctuary, has also passed away. Jody was an incredibly popular chimpanzee at the Chimp Sanctuary, and um, it's just a great story of, of why good sanctuaries are important, because um, up until the last 15 years, Jody had been involved in medical testing and being bred for that purpose, and just all kinds of gross stuff. Jody did not have a very good life, but uh, she had an amazing retirement at the chimp sanctuary. And um, while it is sad that she's gone, it's nice to know that she had a great life at the sanctuary. I can only imagine how much of a healing effect being there must have had on her. 
And last but not least, in the deaths this week, um, the San Diego Zoo family has announced the passing of Mary, a geriatric Asian elephant. Uh, Mary was 59 years old. Um, The average life expectancy of a female Asian elephant is 47 years old. And uh, during her time at the zoo, she lived at the Elephant Odyssey exhibit, which makes sense since she's an elephant, uh, where they have the Elephant Care Center, which is uh, especially equipped to attend to the needs of elderly elephants, which probably explains why she made it all the way to 59 years of age. Uh, One thing that I thought was really worth mentioning in the release about this is that after Mary passed, Shaba, who uh, was Mary's companion in the exhibit, had the opportunity to see her body and make her goodbyes. Uh, She will now have the choice to socialize with neighboring elephants, Nifo and Sunzu. So we'll see what choice uh, Shaba makes. But it's really cool that uh, Shaba got to say goodbye to Mary. And we send our condolences to everyone at the San Diego Zoo. And actually, that story reminds me of another story. Uh, We mentioned recently that Lisa, one of the African elephants at the Oakland Zoo, passed away. uh, And people were wondering what was going to happen with Donna, who was Lisa's lifelong best friend and companion, and she is now alone. Well, uh, in the interim, Donna has been getting lots of care and attention, and uh, at the same time, they have also been working to find what would be the best solution for her. And uh, because of the elephant social structure and everything, uh, the Oakland Zoo worked with the AZA to figure out where the best place would be to send Donna or to figure out who would be a good companion for Donna. And unfortunately, they weren't really able to find anybody who they thought would be a good uh, fit to go to the Oakland Zoo and hang out with Donna. So Donna is moving to the Elephant Sanctuary, an AZA-accredited natural habitat refuge in Tennessee. This move will allow Donna to join a larger group of three female African elephants there, and that is where she will live out the remainder of her life. So hopefully transport and uh, the the meets go well, but, um, you know, Donna is being well taken care of. It's crazy to think sometimes what has to go into... Stuff like this, you know, I I think about it with Buttonwood, too, since they have some geriatric elephants and everything, um, including my my friend Emily, who I got to drum with. But uh, it really takes a lot to figure out what's in the best interest of elderly elephants, especially when they're in small herds and especially when one member passes. Uh, So it's really cool to see the Oakland Zoo and AZA working so hard to uh, make sure that Donna has the best rest of her life possible. Proud of them. Very proud of them. Okay, sorry to have started this with so many heavy things, but uh, now let's move on to some light by discussing some of the births that have happened at zoos recently that excite me. Uh, The Mesker Park Zoo and Botanic Garden has announced the birth of two baby binturongs, or as I like to call them, bintlets. Uh, And um, this is really exciting for a lot of reasons, including the fact that they're freaking binturongs, and I love those. But um, also, the names of the two binturongs are Poppy and Pretzel. Now, if you know me, you know that pretzels are my favorite food. So a binturong named Pretzel is uh, instantly moved to the animal most likely for me to kidnap from a zoo. No, I'm kidding. You know I would never do that. I shouldn't even joke with everything going on with Dallas and stuff lately. But um, 
Well, I am. So yeah, uh, Poppy and Pretzel are doing really well. Poppy has a gold patch on her chest, and Pretzel has a light underside to his tail. Poppy is more adventurous, and Pretzel is more laid back, and they are adorable. Go check out pictures of Pretzel and Poppy on the Mesker Park Zoo and Botanic Garden Facebook and Instagram pages. You will not be disappointed. The Nashville Zoo has announced the birth of Penelope, a red-ruffed lemur, who uh, is the daughter of Phoebe, a seven-year-old red-ruffed lemur, which makes sense since that's the only kind of animal that can have a red-ruffed lemur baby, also known as a lemlet. Ooh. I like that one. I like lemlets a lot. Uh, There are some photos up on their social media as well, and they are adorable. So yet again, I recommend going and checking those out. And speaking of cool births, our friends at the Honolulu Zoo have announced the birth of a new baby eastern black rhinoceros. So uh, this is a baby boy and is the first offspring of the rhino couple at the Honolulu Zoo, uh, which is a couple that came from the San Diego Zoo last year. So this is a really big, exciting birth because it's a new rhino in Hawaii. That's kind of crazy. And the fact that like it's a new exhibit with new animals and then there was a birth is really, really cool. So uh, yeah, so far the baby's doing well and hopefully will be a uh, longtime member of the Honolulu Zoo uh, family. Speaking of a very cool new birth, uh, the Roger Williams Park Zoo has announced the birth of twin golden lion tamarins, which is really cool to begin with. The uh, tamlets are named Hildreth and Colin, and they were born on April 26th. Now, what makes this extra interesting is that golden lion tamarins at uh, Roger Williams Park Zoo actually do not live on exhibit per se, but they are able to freely roam around the rainforest building uh, known as Faces of the Rainforest at the zoo. So they just like shoot around overhead and, um, you know, you can't like reach out and touch them or anything, but they're like right there. And now that's, you know, happening with the babies, too, because uh, they, they're going to be hanging out on mom's back and stuff. So if you go to Roger Williams Park Zoo, and I am very soon, and I'm very excited about this, you can actually see baby golden lion tamarins that are just going to be, like, above you, you know, on mom, wandering around, no glass, no mesh. Uh, this is a really cool opportunity to see a really, really cute baby animal in a way that you often don't get to. So uh, if you can get to Roger Williams Park Zoo, I highly recommend that you do. Oh, also, did you know that there's uh, still a tree kangaroo, Joey, named Paya, who I'm in love with there? Yeah, yeah, you did. And actually, while we're talking about cool new things at Roger Williams Park Zoo, even though it's not a birth, uh, Zan is now at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Many of you just said who or what is a Zan, but you fandas know what I'm talking about. Zan is a three-year-old red panda that was born and lived at, up until this point, Woodland Park Zoo. And um, so the fact that Zan has now moved to Roger Williams Park Zoo is really exciting for me. I'm going to get to go see Zan soon. Uh, Zan's just a really incredible and beautiful panda and um, just another reason to go and enjoy Roger Williams Park Zoo. This is this is really exciting, y'all. I cannot wait to get back up there. 
All right, two more quick births to announce. First of all, the Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium has announced the birth of two Amur leopard cubs. Now, this is uh, one of the most endangered animals in the world. They are the rarest subspecies of cat, uh, with roughly 100 individuals surviving in the wild. So every birth is wildly important. And they are also currently having a naming contest for the... uh, Leplets. So uh, if you would like to uh, take part in that, uh, for a $5 donation, you can submit two name suggestions uh, by going to their social medias and following the links to help name the cubs. And I personally suggest the names John and Rasafari. Just saying. And last but not least for the births, uh, Elmwood Park Zoo has announced the birth of four baby peccaries to their family. Now, these pecklets are adorable, and this is actually the uh, second birth for the parents there who welcomed two pecklets last year. So right now, there are eight peccaries living at Elmwood Park Zoo. Uh, Peccaries are very sociable and actually often travel in groups called squadrons. So you can go and uh, check out the squadron of peccaries at Elmwood Park Zoo. It's uh, really adorable, y'all. And if you don't know what peccaries are, they're they're kind of uh, a cool little pig species that you should definitely be Googling right now. So if you happen to be on social media, uh, there are two trends happening in the zoo and aquarium world right now that you might want to keep your eyes out for. One of them is um, people visiting the zoo or aquarium, but pretending it's a Wes Anderson film, which is a uh, very highly stylized type of film that the director Wes Anderson makes, things like Royal Tenenbaums and stuff like that. Great films. Uh, Various facilities are making their own Wes Anderson versions of this and um, to varying degrees of success, in my humble opinion. But uh, they're definitely fun to watch. And then the day I'm recording this is May 4th, which is obviously Star Wars Day. And so there's a whole lot of really great Star Wars zoo and aquarium content out there if that is your jam. And And I got to tell y'all, it is certainly my jam. So uh, make sure you're keeping an eye out for all of that. It looks pretty cool and is fun. Remember the stories that I've had recently about Wolverine kits being born? Wolverillets? (laughs) Anyway, um, the AZA has announced that uh, this is actually the most successful year for Wolverine births in uh, captivity ever, uh, or at least in a very long time since we keep records. Um, Seven different Wolverines were born at three different AZA facilities, and that's really exciting and really means a lot for the species. So great news for Wolverines fans. Now I want to touch on a topic that is uh, something we've been talking about a little bit and is continuing to frustrate, uh, which is the pandas at the National Zoo uh, coming under fire. So in case you're not fully caught up, a quick recap. Uh, I basically spoke to someone at Memphis who said that once they were all out of pandas, um, it was believed that the the trolls and the bots and the misinformation would shift to either the National Zoo or Zoo Atlanta or both. And boy, howdy, uh, that person looks like a psychic um, because I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then last week I mentioned that attacks were starting up on the National Zoo Instagram page and Facebook page and everything. And now it's just gotten completely out of control. Every post that goes up is just bombed with people 
putting up false information, saying that they are torturing these pandas and that uh, they need to return them to China because they're going to kill them and that the pandas don't have good lives and all this stuff. A lot of people are literally just posting a bunch of really annoying hashtags uh, without even taking the time to comment. And, you know, I don't know, those could be bots, that can be AI, that can just be trolls. There could be a misinformation campaign happening in China. It's it's very weird to see uh, this targeting happening. And the reason I say there could be a misinformation campaign happening in China specifically is because so many of the comments uh, claim that they are, you know, Chinese pages. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... It's weird to see. I don't know exactly what's going on, um, but I will say this. I personally know multiple members of the panda team at the National Zoo, as well as uh, one of the curators of carnivores there, and these are good people who do good, good work. It's just that simple. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and say that, uh, you know, these are not people who are immune to feeling hurt and attacked from bullying, and so I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet about how they feel about this campaign, but um, it just needs to stop. It just needs to stop, and I, I don't know how to do that. Um, I, I wish I did, but uh, I think we might be starting to enter into uh, an even scarier age with all of this than we have before. Uh, there's just a death of information in this world. Um, people believe what they believe. They see enough of it on the online to uh, back up their beliefs, and they don't care. As a matter of fact, today, um, I got into it with uh, somebody online. And as far as I can tell, this is a, a real person who um, really, you know, has the best interests of uh, animals at heart. Now, you can do that and be wildly misguided. There's a lot of really bad information out there and groups like PETA that, that perpetuate these lies, and it's, it's a problem. Uh, but this person commented on a recent post uh, about my podcast from Reptiland, and they said, you know, oh, this is horrible, and how could you do this? There's proof of abuse and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I went and checked the profile. They're clearly not a bot. And so I um, I responded and I said, hey, don't know if you heard, but, you know, as I mentioned to y'all in Zoo News last week, uh, Reptiland got a clean bill of health. Uh, the president of the Jacksonville Zoo went and the, um, the person in charge of the accreditation committee at the AZA went and a, um, a veterinarian from the University of Rochester, who's not, you know, even at a zoo, went and, and checked it out and gave them a clean bill of health and said that everything looks great and, um, you know. It, it, it's fine. Things are good. Experts say that things are good. And this person came back and attacked again, asking about specific things, asking if I had seen things, some of which I had and can very easily with my own eyes say that, um, you know, what she was saying was not true. Others of which I did not see, but I trust that the experts who did see them and know what they're talking about, um, you know, know what they're talking about. Um and so uh, I, I responded with that again. And I, I again, I could tell that this was a person, you know, who wasn't like – I mean she was definitely being negative and, and calling me names and stuff, but also really taking the time to, to 
say what she believed is right. And I think that discourse is important. And so I, again, explained, you know, and I asked some questions and I I said that the fact that her account is anonymous and stuff, you know, doesn't really give me any reason to believe her instead of the experts. And at that point, she, you know, attacked me, compared me to Goebbels and, and being a Nazi. And um, that's Goebbels, the Nazi, not Gerbils, which are cute little animals that I would not mind being compared to. And it it kind of made me laugh and kind of made me sad all at once because, you know, this is a person who is so passionate and who cares about animals and I truly believe has a good heart. Uh, the Instagram page, and I'm purposely not saying the name of it because I don't want anyone going there and like attacking her or anything like that. That's not the purpose of this. Um, but it is, she's a person who has a stuffed animal that she takes everywhere with her and it goes on adventures with her. And most of you know, I have a red panda who does that. His name is Red and um, – I think, like, in a different world, this person and I could be friends and get along and, and you know, I think she would like a lot of what Rasafari is. I need to point out this is not a follower. I'm not sure how she found my post. Um, it's just sad. And I think whether it's mass attacks like what the National Zoo is going through or these smaller personal attacks like what I've been going through today, that you're just going to see it continue because people have a hard time – Admitting they're wrong, admitting that they have fallen for something that is not true, and at some point there's just a death of facts and they they start denying the evidence presented by experts because, you know, it's what the online said. And uh, it, it really makes me sad. I honestly feel for this person and, um, you know – I, I really feel for the people at the National Zoo because they don't need that. They just – zookeepers don't need or deserve that ever. So, um, yeah, I'll continue my message of if you make it to the National Zoo or even if you just see posts by the National Zoo, comment, say positive things, be nice, lift people up. It's an awesome thing that we can do to show support for people who are unfairly under attack right now. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado has announced that they are doing dog days at the zoo. You can bring your canine kiddo for a zoo adventure. Now, this is something that Elmwood Park Zoo has been doing for a while as well and uh, is really cool. So if you happen to be at Cheyenne Mountain Zoo or headed that way, you can bring your pup, but only on certain days and with a lot of little requirements to fill in first and everything. So don't just show up with the dog, but go check out their social media posts about it if you are interested in doing so. And last but not least in the Zoo News section this week, uh, my favorite story uh, of Zoo News, the Blackpool Zoo in the United Kingdom is hiring people to dress up as huge birds as a way to deter seagulls. So it turns out that... Um, there are seagulls absolutely ravaging the humans and animals at the Blackpool Zoo by diving down and stealing their food. And so how do you handle that situation? Well, you, you can't just use uh, apparently, you know, normal scarecrows because those aren't working. So they are hiring people to try to dress up like large birds and thus, uh, yeah, uh, scare off the seagulls. Gotta love it. I just want one of the people who gets this job to, like, be single and going on dates and trying to explain to said dates what they do for a living, which is scare off seagulls. That's what I want to experience. If that happens, I promise you, you can immediately come and be on Ross Safari. You may be a guest on this podcast if you are the person doing that and then have to explain it to your dates. That's, that's all I'm saying. 
Anyway, that brings us to Stereotypical Animal Podcast Theme Song. Here to bring you to Conservation News. The Big Cat Public Safety Act has officially been signed into law, uh, and that means that you have until June 18th to officially register uh, to be in compliance with the Big Cat Public Safety Act. So if you have a tiger in your backyard, first of all, shame on you, but second of all, you have until June 18th to register. But uh, it's really cool to see so many different groups like the AZA and PETA come together to lobby for this bill and then get it passed. So very exciting stuff. Yay that. The last known female giant Yangtze softshell turtle has officially passed away, meaning that this incredibly beautiful and rare species is now functionally extinct, despite the fact that there is still one male left in the wild and one male left in captivity. This is especially devastating news because uh, female turtles can lay up to like 100 eggs a clutch, meaning that just by surviving and and possibly having eggs extracted or breeding, uh, this this turtle could have increased the population from three to like 103 in one year. Um, so it, it is a absolutely huge loss and turtle conservationists are just absolutely devastated. Sadly, this species has gone functionally extinct entirely because of rising levels of pollution, as well as decades of hunting for its meat and eggs. So this one rests entirely on humans, y'all. Shocker. I know. There is actually still hope that there is another female of the species in a lake that has not been officially identified, but has been rumored. And so right now, the entire hope of that species rests on a um, possible female that probably doesn't exist, as there has been no actual hard concrete evidence found that the turtle exists. But uh, we all need to hope that it does, because it is the absolute last chance to save this species. In happier news, a snail species that was extinct in the wild no longer is, as breeding programs have worked successfully, and now over 5,000 different snails have been released into the Pacific Islands of Tahiti and Moria, where they come from. The snail is known as the Partula snail, and the introduction of 5,000 of them is really important, not just for saving the species, but because they eat decaying plant tissue and fungi and play an important role in maintaining the health of the forest where they live. The species actually originally went extinct in the wild because of a snail turf war. So um, <laughs> there was a, a problem with the um, African giant land snail that got introduced into the French Polynesian island chain. And as such, uh, conservationists introduced the rosy wolf snail to solve the problem and take down the giant land snails. Instead, the rosy snails hunted down the native Partula snails and drove them to extinction. So now they are back in the wild and the turf war can continue. Who knew that snails were so dang interesting? And, you know, often when we talk about invasive species, I think people think about you know, the big invasive species, the, the things that travel and, and, you know, talking about illegal pets and all that kind of stuff. But uh, here's a friendly reminder that things like goldfish 
are actually really hardy animals. And when you release them because you don't feel like taking care of Mr. Bubbles anymore, you can cause a lot of problems to your local ecosystem. Uh, in fact, there is currently a 67-pound goldfish that is uh, out in the world and was recently um, found and updated because we've known about this goldfish for a while. It, its name is Carrot. And... Um, Carrot is – so goldfish are actually a bunch of different types of fish, but they are often carp, which are really hardy animals. And um, carrot is actually a carp-koi hybrid. And um, yeah, she, she's now about the size of a 10-year-old human child. So – that's cool. It's it's not. It's it's very not cool. Um, but yeah, so just remember that, uh, you know, even little things like goldfish can really cause problems when you release them into the world. They grow bigger than you think. They contribute to poor water quality by mucking up the bottom sediments. They uproot plants. Uh, they compete with other animals that live there and actually are supposed to be there, the, you know, native species. It's a problem, y'all. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I'm sure I don't have to tell my audience this, but if you hear someone saying they're going to just dump a goldfish in a pond, yell at them for me, okay? It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park. For a long time now, humans have been interested in figuring out how cephalopods like octopodes, cuttlefish, and squid are able to camouflage themselves. We understand a lot about how it works uh, in the cephalopods, what their skin cells are doing and, and how they refract light and how the layer underneath that can actually change colors in a way that human cells can't. But we aren't able to fully study the cells individually because up to now, and actually still now, um, it is not possible to culture cephalopod skin cells in a lab just has never worked. So recently, some scientists decided that they were going to learn more about the um, mechanisms underlying this ability by um, replicating the properties of squid cells in human cells in a lab. They, they actually did that. They, they have turned human cells into human-squid hybrid cells. I'm just thoroughly confused by all of that. But basically, without going into a lot of really deep science here that involves words like chromatophores and stuff, um, there's a lot of really cool application here. This could basically unlock the idea of camouflage in humans and, and the ability to to change your, your skin color. Um, it could also, and I mean, we're talking a long time away, but it could also help with medical advances. For instance, there's the belief that uh, doctors could use subcellular molecular probes with a high refractive index to basically get into the body to fully understand um, how the cell structure in the body is working or not working and what is going on in there to fix cellular diseases. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. There, There's even um, engineers at the University of Tokyo uh, who are working on, quote, liquid windows, which are windows 
that can shift the wavelength, intensity, and distribution of light transmitted through the windows, thereby saving substantially on energy costs. All kinds of crazy cool things. Um, and just, you know, obviously the thing that I'm hoping for, which are human squid hybrids that take over the world and become our overlords, our, our fishy, fishy overlords. And yes, for you uber nerds that are listening, I know that cephalopods aren't fish, but fishy overlords was really fun to say. You know, I mentioned uh, not releasing pets into the wild in conservation news, and a great example of that is that a freshwater crocodile was found in the backyard of a home in Australia in the Central Coast region recently. Now, freshwater crocs are not native to the area, so it is believed that this animal was a released pet. Fortunately, no one was hurt. The homeowners saw it and immediately called the Australia Reptile Park, who went and picked it up and are now caring for it. But, um, yeah, just an, another example of, of you know, people probably getting a pet that they can't really take care of and then releasing it when it gets a little scary. And that's just really not okay. So, uh, come on, Australia, get your crap together. In a completely unrelated story, a small alligator was found at a Lehigh County sewage treatment plant in Pennsylvania, near where I grew up. Great. Yeah, see that? That was a joke because the Australia thing. But it's everywhere. Yeah, it seems like yet again uh, a person in this case bought a small alligator maybe at a herp show or something like that where they're easy to get. And then it kept growing because that's what alligators do. And so they had to let it go. So they did. And it was found at a sewer treatment plant. But fortunately, again, nobody was hurt and it was sent to the proper authorities and now is being cared for by people who have a heart and actually care about these things. So that's cool. And last but not least, in other news this week, if you want a good chuckle, uh, look up an article on HuffPost that is entitled Principal Runs Like Hell After Coming Face to Face with a Bear Hidden in School Dumpster. I don't know who's more afraid, the principal or the bear, but they both actually run like hell. Uh, it's it's a really cute little video, though, um, and yeah, it's, it's worth checking out. So uh, go ahead and do that whenever you need a laugh. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and now it's time for your animal holidays for the week. It's still May, which means it is no mo May, which is really ironic because recording this podcast is taking me way too long because the condo association here has all these stupid people doing stupid yard work because they don't believe in rewilding, and it has interrupted the recording of this so many times. It's driving me crazy. So no mo May, and I wish my condo association would understand that. It's also National Duckling Month and National Lake Cleanup Month. The podcast is coming out on the 5th, which is obviously known as Cinco de Mayo, but is also known as Cinco de Rhino, which is a celebration to save the species of rhino that remain, and Happy Bears Day. The 6th is called Salamander Saturday. The 7th launches Amphibian Week, which runs from the 7th to the 13th. And the 10th is National Shrimp Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, folks, there you have it. Rossafari Zoo News is done for another week, and I appreciate y'all listening. I would like to say thank you to Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, my Red Panda-level patrons, and remind you that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com 
slash Rasafari. You'll get cool bonus audio and some other stuff. And I would like to say hello, welcome, and thank you to my newest patron, Karen Musklau. Welcome to the family, Karen. I hope you're enjoying all that bonus content that you get to listen to now, and I appreciate you appreciating the pod and supporting me in this way. Thank you so much for being here. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed stories this week. Thank you, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Kristen Khalil, Ren Howell, Liz Dunlevy, Emily Rockbuck, Jacob Zinn, Kevin Williams, Lara Shank, and Andrew King. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.